Navigating the Storm, episode 21. The boundary was love. Hi, I'm Anna Knight, host of Navigating the Storm. For those of you who are listening for the first time, just to let you know about me. So I am a giant nerd, a cat mom. I have more books than one woman could ever read. And I am also a life coach. I work with people who've been through some storms in their time and who know that they don't have to stay in this survival mode anymore, that there's something else out there for them. And I help them find that, whatever that looks like to them. So for some people, they have dreams about how they want their life to be, the changes they'd make to their lives. Other people that I coach have big visions and are ready to change the world, and that's good too. On this podcast, I speak to people who've been on a journey with their life and who found the meaning in it, who've learned something that they think we can all learn from, and who generally just have amazing stories to tell. It's one of my favourite bits of my week, having new podcast interviews. Today, we are joined by Maddie Robinson. Now, Maddie is a yoga instructor and a trainee therapist. She'll introduce you to all of that herself in a minute. One of the key things that I wanted to talk to you about today was about love. So that's love for ourselves and that's love for others. And quite often, one of the ways that we express that love is through acts of service. It's one of the five love languages. It's one that a lot of us are familiar with that use quite a lot. We equate love and giving. But what can happen, as Maddie so wonderfully shares, is that there are times when that giving can actually be having a really profound effect on both the giver and the receiver. As you're listening, particularly to Maddie's story, really think about what your relationship with love is, that being love for yourself and love for the people around you, and how that shows up for you. Hi Maddie, thanks for joining us today. Hi Anna, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure, I've been really looking forward to this one. So for the listeners at home, if you could just introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Maddie Robinson and I am many different things. I teach yoga primarily and the yoga I teach really focuses on accessibility. So yoga that's comfortable for people in all bodies rather than creating a space where people feel like they have to try really hard to achieve a certain pose or a certain degree of flexibility. So that's probably my main thing. And alongside that, I look after children. It's quite a a new thing for me, but as of lockdown, I've been looking after a few children in nannying and caring roles, which is something I came across and just found I love. And then the other thing that I do is I'm training to be a psychotherapist. So yeah. 
fab. Different things. <laughs> yeah, three really different but all really fascinating things. Yeah, yeah, they are very different. And yet at the same time, I feel like there's lots that they all offer that kind of interconnects. Which, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, which has been fascinating. Yeah, and when I first came across your social media, one of the things that really hooked me in was this idea of accessible yoga, being someone who really loves yoga but isn't always the most able-bodied, depending on what my lupus Mm -hmm. is doing. When I saw that term, I was like, yes, I need to talk to this person. Why do you think accessible yoga is so important? For me, I think I first started doing yoga just because I wanted to be more flexible. I had an idea that being more flexible would look cool, would maybe make me more valuable as a person on some level, that kind of mentality. And when I first started doing it, I was really in a space where I pushed myself really hard. I did loads of running, loads of cycling. I was very controlling around what I ate, all that kind of stuff. And yoga slotted into that. Over time, I'm so fortunate to have been exposed to what yoga really is. Often in the West, it's treated as just a kind of fitness thing. It's part of our kind of consumerist lifestyle of always wanting more and filling our time and, you know, having a certain type of body. And just over the years, I've been introduced to the really profound and multi-layered parts of yoga that are so distant from what I just described. It's a journey that's kind of taken me away from a place where I'm comparing my body to anything or trying to get my body to be like anything. And instead, I'm accepting and welcoming the changes that happen in my body and all that kind of stuff. And so... It feels important to me because I have accessed so much from this shift in my attitudes towards yoga. It's helped me in some really quite profound ways. It's that that led me to become a psychotherapy student and learn how to look after myself before putting everybody else first. All these things make me feel like I really want to share that with people. I really want to give people the tools to access those things. As you were talking, I was struck that that kind of first situation you described it sounded really like one of the archetypes that I work with around like the pressure to be superwoman, to do Mm. it all, to do it perfectly, to be able to do, like you say, it's not just enough to do yoga, you have to hold the pose the longest or do the advanced stretch or or all that kind of pressure we put ourselves under. And quite often that can be reflective of a wider situation that's going on in our life as well. Did you find the same for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it often happens to women, but also to people in general, that we feel we have to really prove our worth, that we have to be achieving loads of stuff in order to be valuable in society. Interwoven in all of that is diet culture, this kind of mentality that being smaller is naturally better than being larger or that we are all supposed to be on diets all the time and we are all supposed to be working on our bodies and that all of this gives you some inherent value. That for me is the key piece. I really want to guide people in a very gentle, open way towards finding a place of acceptance and then also perhaps towards shifting the way that they view a lot of these things. And I think that's not by me saying diet culture is bad, (laughs) Um, but it's through the way that I word things, the way that I phrase things. It's like never talking about yoga in relation to anything it does for people's weights because it doesn't do the same thing for everybody's body. 
never talking about weight loss. Yeah, I really like how you said that every month in my Facebook group, Port in the Storm, we have like a theme for the month. And our theme this month is about embodying how we want to be. And for me, like yoga has been a really helpful part of that, that it, it really helps get me out of my head and into my body. But when we were asking people what they wanted to embody, I'd kind of thought that there might be a little bit more of a focus on weight loss look better because that's kind of come up in the group quite a lot before now. But actually about four or five people, like the ones who did talk about their relationships with their bodies, were saying that they didn't want to change their bodies, they just wanted to be comfortable with their bodies. And I felt like that was such a a profound shift in the way we were thinking about it, that it's not necessarily about, in air quotes, fixing what we don't like about our bodies. It's about nurturing and loving them. And that, for me, felt like a really kind of like, wow, I'm so proud of my group. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so on the same page as you there. Like, it's such a joy to see people's attitudes towards this shifting it's something that's been so deeply ingrained for centuries forever that people and particularly women have to look a certain way and embedded in that is an idea of shame like you're not good as you are there's something wrong with you you have to change and while social media can be so problematic in many ways I absolutely love some of the stuff that we see come through now. I love seeing people putting glitter into their stretch marks and taking photos of them. I love seeing postnatal bodies in their very true and raw form. I love seeing people in larger bodies exploring yoga and being proud in their bodies. And I really feel when I see these, this deep sense of... I don't know, compassion, love, relief, just like, wow, we're, we're really changing. We're really beginning to understand as a society that fixing or changing external things isn't what is important. Yeah, a couple of episodes ago, I interviewed my 15-year-old niece and <sighs> she was saying that, that actually, yeah, there's the comparison aspect of social media and she's quite mindful of that. But what she actually loves about social media is that idea that you're seeing what is actually out there as well. There's a lot more people being authentic. And she was like, social media has been the thing that's actually educated her around issues like this. And when she was saying that, I was was kind of blown away by how wise she was. Mm -hmm. She's 15 and she was already like, me and my friends will like remind ourselves what the important stuff is and we'll steer each other away from comparison. And I was there being like, you're 15. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I love that so much. And it's exactly that. It's like you suddenly find some community, some understanding. When I was 15, I can remember having stretch marks or things in my body that I thought were incredibly shameful and that just came from the fact that I'd never seen these things anywhere. They weren't represented in the media, they weren't shown in advertising or anything like that so I felt like I internalized quite deeply a sense that there was something wrong with me. And so yeah as you talk about 15 year olds kind of understanding this especially at such a tender age like such a difficult complicated age yeah that brings me a lot of joy and a lot of hope so one of the other things that you mentioned right back at the beginning that I wanted to touch upon was this idea of being outward facing and I think that that is something again that in a general sense women but not just women 
we are expected to give ourselves away before we give to ourselves. Mm. And that for me has been part of the hardest part of my journey is that relearning of where I fit in my own priority system. Is that something you've experienced too? Yeah, absolutely. I think that really describes my journey. I was very much somebody in the past who felt like I wasn't okay unless other people were okay. And I had to do everything I could to ensure that they were okay. Not realizing that that will never be the answer. That will never fix what's going on inside me. Yeah, and it's a heavy one, isn't it? It's that... I wonder if it comes back to that sense of shame and that I'm not good enough unless I've made sure everyone else is okay. Yeah, so in my instance, I really know where this came from. I think it's an example you're given a lot as a child on TV and within your family and all of that. But then kind of at a deeper level, I had a mum who is quite, or was certainly quite volatile quite verbally aggressive, quite stressful, and I think provoked quite a lot of fear in me as a kid, which is only something I'm kind of coming to really understand now because it's stuff that I felt safest ignoring and avoiding. And so within that context, my safety was in doing everything I could to make sure she was okay. So being as obedient as I could, as kind, polite, softly spoken, meek, and all of that speaks to suppressing oneself. I was having to morph myself into something else in order to make sure she was okay because that felt like the only way I could be okay. When you're a child, that's kind of all you really know. That's all you can do. You have to find safety in the system you have because you don't have the tools or knowledge or power. It's also not legal to remove yourself from that situation, really. Like, I had to find a way of dealing with it. And so that's all quite deeply ingrained for me, I guess. It's been a very long journey of recognising this, recognising the patterns that have come up because of this, and just bit by bit teaching myself how to shift those old patterns. Yeah, and it's like you say, isn't it? Some of these patterns, we don't even recognize them. Mm. I always kind of think of it like our our internal beliefs are like stored in a little mental filing cabinet and we're not conscious of what's in there, but it's there. It's forming our reality every day of going, oh, I need to be quiet here because that's the safest thing or, or I need to put that person first because that's the safest thing. And it's only when you bring some of them out into the light that you can kind of go, okay, that's what I'm doing here. Is that what I want to be doing here? And that's what I love about the work I do is that that recognition of your patterns in a really accepting way, just like you were saying, through no fault of yours, that you learn those things. It's how we're taught. It's how we're programmed. And like you say, Mm -hmm. there's the family context. But there's also that thing of how women are represented in the media as well. And every example of a woman in the media falls into things like the overgiving mother or the seductress who is somehow viewed as a bit taboo and you don't want to be like her because she uses sex. And it is this programming, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it all gets really hardwired into your being. 
all these things that you're exposed to when you're very, very young, when you're forming your identity, when you're figuring out how the world works. It does require so much work and it is work. I always think when I see casual bits of self-care advice online or, you know, throwaway comments like just, just drink less or whatever it is. <laughs> Why don't you go to bed earlier? I'm like... <laughs> Always makes me laugh. Have you considered sleeping? Like, exactly. whoa, if only I'd have thought of that first. Exactly. Like, I hadn't noticed that I'm exhausted and I hadn't made any link with that and my uh, well-being, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, I always think that it's a little problematic because I'm like, you don't know anybody's personal situation. You don't know their family life. You don't know how they've been programmed to live. And beyond that these things don't just work on their own. It's not that you can just sleep more and then your emotional well-being will suddenly be regulated and balanced. It's a whole heap of things mm -hmm. that kind of need nurturing and slowly unpicking. Mm. And I think as well, need once you've made it conscious, they need that spotlight kept on it. Some of the best therapists and coaches and psychologists I know, are still doing the work themselves. Like they've not got to a point of going, well, I'm fixed, now it's on to the next person. It's a continual process and as things rise up in your life, it's more challenging and you have to adapt. And that's something yeah, I'm always absolutely. really conscious of. Again, when I'm doing my social media is that I often don't want to betray the idea that my life is all sunshine and roses because there are days that are hard and there are months that are hard and actually it's about doing the work, going through the process, going, oh, I've recognised the pattern, let's do some digging, let's do some releasing. That, yeah. for me, is much more honest than trying to put out the thing of, well, I'm a coach, I've got everything handled and everything is perfect and you could be like me, because that's, that's not the truth of it. The truth yeah. is a lot more complicated than that. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, you can be in a space of teaching and guiding people and holding space for them. That doesn't mean that you are a perfectly enlightened being. Um, <laughs> it is a challenge though. Like I often find representing your business online on social media is it's a confusing space. And I think I struggle with that balance between real authenticity and promoting a business. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's interesting to explore. And then also on, on the theme of not being perfectly enlightened beings in, in these seats as yoga teachers, as coaches and all of that, it just reminded me of the fact that I received some constructive feedback from one of my students the other day. And I honestly felt like overjoyed to receive it. I was like, excellent, this is this is wonderful because, and I think it's something that a lot of people would shy away from is giving that kind of feedback to a yoga teacher or to somebody who's been facilitating something for them. It felt really positive to get this feedback actually. And I think partly we also fall into that trap of thinking they're perfect people, they know what they're doing, they've got it right. And it becomes very easy to internalize a sense of, I must be doing it wrong. So when I had a student come forward and be like, this didn't work for me or I didn't understand the way you said this. I was just like, excellent. I'm so pleased that she's able to connect me on that way rather than mm -hmm. putting me on a pedestal or anything. 
Yeah, like it opens the door for growth, right? That if you didn't know Absolutely. about it, you can't do anything. Yeah. And yeah, it's something I talk about quite a lot in my group is this idea of radical honesty, that we don't have to censor ourselves based on what other people want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or even quite often what we predict they want to hear. Like you say, for you, that feedback, you're like, oh my God, yes, I can work with this. This is great. But some people might be going, oh my God, I can't say anything to her. She's the teacher. I'm the student. What if it knocked her confidence? What if she then stopped being a yoga teacher? Like the stories we tell ourselves can be so huge and dramatic from that. And actually, I think when you set up that kind of space as going, you know what, here we can be radically honest. If something isn't working, we say it. And that's a cause for celebration because we're like, yes, like, let's (laughs) do something with it. It's one of the things that I always kind of really aim for when I'm working with someone is when they are sharing those things that they're like, I don't know if I should be saying this. I'm like, say it. Because it always feels so much better out than stored inside. If it feels like you need to say it, I'm a big fan of just saying stuff. Me too. More and more. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I think this is it. A lot of us feel that speaking up. Or we've almost been taught and conditioned that speaking up or saying what we really feel is wrong. And yeah, it can be such a beautiful release when you get into a space where you finally allow yourself to say what you mean. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And what I'm wondering, Maddie, thinking about my own story, for me, there was kind of quite a, a defined moment where I was like, this is enough. I can't keep putting someone else in front of me because it's not serving me and I just can't carry on. Was there there a similar moment for you? Yeah, there is. So a number of years ago, I started uh, or I became an emergency kinship foster carer to give it its long title for my niece who was in quite a difficult situation at home and I felt like I had to take the responsibility to look after her. It felt kind of intolerable to me, the idea that she was suffering in any way. And I felt like I needed to provide some support. And when I say I feel like I needed to, it really did feel like that. I felt like I had no choice. I couldn't consider another option other than stepping into support at this really difficult moment in her life, in my sister's life. That was a real challenge. Uh, It was, well, I mean, it was something, it was interesting. And over sort of four or five years, she would stay with me for sort of five or six weeks, sometimes just on weekdays and then sometimes for longer than that. And, you know, it was a bit of a sort of mixed arrangement. And every time it would culminate in either her kind of pushing me away and being like, I just want to go back to mum, I think just because that was the only way she knew how to deal with the situation. Or on a number of occasions when she got a bit older, so we're talking sort of 14, 15, she'd start just running away. We'd be in the middle of the street, I would say something that she disagreed with, and without even a proper conversation, she might just turn around and run off. So it was quite chaotic. I was certainly in a space of... People talk about being a little bit addicted to your uh, to your stress hormones. I think I was in that space where I just felt like 
that was life, that was normal, and I just had to deal with it. I don't know if I quite had a light bulb moment. It was more a long and slow process over several years where I kind of was exposed to more and more truths through yoga, through my initial training and counselling skills. I just bit by bit realised that this wasn't sustainable for me and it was having a big impact on many areas of my life, on my work, my relationship. At first, this kind of self-care took the form of me saying, right, well, I just need very clear boundaries around what I do and don't offer to my niece. So I remember feeling incredibly empowered when she texted me at two o'clock one morning saying, mad, I'm in Essex. I don't know how to get home. Can you come and pick me up? And like old me would have been like, what do I do here? Um, But... I'd been doing work, I'd been understanding that this wasn't all my responsibility. So I said no. And that felt like, wow, I've really (laughs) stepped into my power there in a sense. It's like, before that, essentially what I was doing was enabling in the sense that every time she ran away, every time something happened, every time the communication between us broke down or whatever, she would run away and just come back to me when she was ready. And... In that moment, I think she just instantly got the message that, right, I can't just play around like this anymore. Eventually, I drew quite a firm boundary and said, I can't have you back in my house anymore. And that was, she'd run away a couple of times quite close together. Yeah, there was a whole lot of drama around it. And I remember at the time I was with a therapist who in my view, was a little bit problematic in her approach and kind of didn't fulfill some of the basic criteria of (laughs) psychotherapy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one example of that was that she gave me very direct advice, which you're not supposed to do in psychotherapy. And I'm sure it's probably similar in coaching is Mm -hmm. that, you, you know, you can guide people towards things that might support them. You can offer people bits of wisdom. You can't just tell them what to do because it completely disempowers them. Uh However, having said that, to my therapist's credit, I think I really needed at that point someone to just tell me, just stop, just tell her she can't come to your house anymore. Uh So my therapist, yeah, gave me this very direct advice and that felt a bit like a wake up call of like, right, I can stop this cycle, I have that power. And I think my work leading up to that had helped me process that what I was offering, even though it felt like, for me, the best thing to be doing, it wasn't actually having the desired outcome. It wasn't helping in the sense that I wanted it to help. So yeah, I guess at that point, it was just a switch. And I said, right, when I move house, I'm just gonna make a rule that I can't have her come and stay with me anymore. Yeah. I really, I really love how you describe that. I think it is such a profound message that these things can be good for us, but actually good for all the people involved. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I have come to understand that even that action of putting that boundary in place, that as you say, it it was love. It doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. I'm rejecting you as a person. It just meant that this situation isn't serving me or you. And as such, it needs to stop. 
I'm reminded at the moment of the fact that we know now that boundaries in childhood make somebody feel safe. A child needs to know what they can and can't do. They need to know how to make sense of the world around them because without that, it's very confusing, scary. And when you see children kind of testing the boundaries, that's a completely normal process. They're trying to figure out what is the world around me? What, <laughs> what can I do or not? While I think the most important part in this boundary setting, or at least I want to remind myself that the most important part in the boundary setting was putting my own needs first. I'm also slightly reassured by the fact that in that act, it just shifted things for somebody who'd grown up with very, very unclear boundaries. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. Like, it is, it's how kind of we all learn is we learn through trial and error and actually you simplified that process. You were like, yeah. you don't need to keep doing these repeated trial and errors. <laughs> here's, here's where we're going to kind of stand. Here's where we're going to stop. Yeah. So just in the last few minutes we've got left, what's next for you, Maddie? Where are you going now? So all of my energy at the moment is going into organising one specific event, which I'm very excited about. It's called Be The Change Festival, or Be The Change UK, and it's on the 27th of March. The idea is that it's a yoga and social justice festival. One thing I realised I didn't mention at the beginning is that I have a big background in activism. I worked in the charity sector for a few years and I've volunteered for many years. And I decided I kind of wanted to bring these things together and give people something that they could take part in while we're still in lockdown and probably all absolutely exhausted of lockdown. I kind of had this sense that I wanted people to feel quite energised and inspired and reignited because <laughs> I think a lot of us have fallen into a place where we are feeling a little stuck, a little tired, a little heavy in the body. So that was the kind of inspiration for the event. Yeah, it's been amazing watching it all come together. We've got a really cool lineup announced. Everyone on board is incredible. Um, all the movement and meditation facilitators are great. And then we're going to have a number of talks and discussions and workshops and things like that on social justice issues and how they link to yoga and the wellness industry more generally. But I'm very excited about it. As am I. I am really <laughs> looking forward to it. So if people want to find out details about your Be The Change Festival, where will they find them? If you go to www.bethechangefestival.co.uk, you'll find all the information you need. You can also get a discount if you sign up with the referral code Anna Knight Referral, one word. And a lot of the proceeds are going to a charity called Star Student Action for Refugees who welcome refugees in the UK through their amazing work. I'll post the links to the festival in the show notes so you'll be able to find them in there and get straight to the place you need to be. Well, hopefully, like me, you're all fired up to join Maddie on Saturday for the festival that she's hosting. 
As Maddie mentioned in the recording, she's been generous enough to give us a £15 discount off tickets if you use the code ANNANIGHTREFERRAL, all one word. So if you are interested, the links are in the show notes. Get yourself over there, get booked on. It promises to be an amazing day. And yeah, I'm super excited. I hope I'll see some of you there. As I was editing this episode, I was really struck by a memory from my past. It was one of the most profound coaching moments that I had when my journey being coached was first starting out. I had put in some pretty hard boundaries of my own for the first time in a long time and I'd stuck to them so I was really proud of myself for defending the boundaries that I'd put in but what I wasn't doing was letting go of the shame and the guilt that I was feeling about the need to put in those boundaries and the amazing Joe Martin the founder of the One of Many Coaching Approach, which I am now certified to use, she said something to me which really changed my life. And she said, you can be love and still leave someone. And in Maddie's case, we heard, you can be love and put a boundary in. It's an act of love to both people. And that really stuck with me. It was a huge emotional release at the time. I spent quite a while weeping after Joe had said that to me. But it's the thing that I've come back to again and again. Being loved doesn't mean always giving. It can mean putting yourself first too. And meeting your own needs so that you've got the energy to care for the people around you. It can be putting in a boundary. It can be showing your daughters or friends or sisters a different way without telling them and them feeling like they're being nagged at or lectured, but by living the life that you'd want for the people you love. So this week, I'd really love to invite you to consider ways that you can be loved to the people around you and how that might look different to what's going on now. If you're feeling stuck or wanting to talk it through with someone, My Facebook group, Pot in the Storm, is open to all. We would love to have you there. Next week, my guest is Sarah Jane. Sarah Jane is going to be sharing her story about growing up with an alcoholic father. It's a really moving interview and kind of similar to what we've been thinking about today, the role of love and boundaries and self-care and how you can make these moments that have been quite challenging to get through mean something in the wider context of your life. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, I'd really love it if you subscribe to the podcast and if you're listening on Apple, give us a, a rate and a review. I'm so passionate about getting all these wonderful people's stories out to as many people as we can, getting them into the hands of the people who need to hear them. Every rating, review, subscribe you do helps us along that mission. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson. 